wonderful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Appreciate the presence of the Lord very much. Amen. Went to over the last couple of days I, or weeks, I have had to do two things that I absolutely despise in life. Last week on Wednesday, I had to go to the dentist, which I had not been since 1999 and uh, horrified the, uh, the hygienist there. And <clears throat> when she asked, when's the last time you had your teeth cleaned? I said, I think it was 99. She was 1999. I said, yeah. Uh-huh. And if I go 16 more years without doing it again, I'll be perfectly happy. <laughs> Amen. Today I had to go to the doctor. And uh, amazingly enough, they said, when was your last physical? I said, um, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And so they want to do some blood testing. And so they said, have you been fasting? <laughs> Got that covered. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. And so then she starts listening to my stomach and, and she's kind of making these funny looks. I said, actually, I said, I haven't eaten for a couple of days. She goes, oh, okay. And she kept, she goes, church fast? I said, mm-hmm. <laughs> she goes, I thought maybe that was what it was. Amen. I said, yeah, it kind of worked out good. Praise God. But I tell you what, it's worth it. It is worth it. Amen. I, I don't enjoy it. Amen. Last time we did it, it was easy. It's not been that way this time, brother. I'm just telling you. I had to, my daughter woke up yesterday. I'm like, what you want for breakfast? She goes, fried egg. I'm like, no. Hallelujah. So I ended up frying four or five of them. Praise God. And couldn't even eat the crunchy parts that were falling off. <laughs> Amen. One of my favorite parts. Amen. But I, I endeavored tonight not to talk about food. So Psalm 139. Amen. Woke up with a passage of scripture on my mind Monday morning. First thing and it has not left me. I have maybe mentioned this in preaching in past in my life, but I have never took this as a text and uh, feel the Lord has something today. Amen. It's uh, been burning in me very deeply and praise God. It's not a shouting message, but amen, I believe it's necessary. Amen. Psalm 139, beginning at verse number one, says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee? from thy presence. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Praise God. For a little bit tonight, I'll do my best to preach. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. Amen. Can you lift your hands? Ask God to have his way in this house. God, we love you. 
Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you, God, for your touch in this place today, Jesus. Lord, we're asking, God, that your perfect will would be done in this place. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, we know that you are able in this place, God, to do something special tonight. And God, I'm asking that you would help me. God, I need your touch, need your help tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. And you may be seated. Praise God. Y'all might be in for a short one tonight because I'm preaching with no monitor. Whoa, hallelujah. Now I've got him. Amen. That may not startle you, but there it went. There it's back. Praise God. Hallelujah. Search me, oh God. I actually woke up Monday morning with a song on my mind and I was singing it in the began to realize it was a scripture verse, and so I looked it up, and this is kind of in this passage of scripture, search me, O God. Searching, this is what God does. He searches us. Brown Driver and Briggs defines this word as to search, to search for, to search out, to examine, to investigate, to search for, to search through, to explore, to examine thoroughly. To be searched out, be found out, be ascertained, be examined, to search out or seek out. David, in the scripture, I believe, was saying that God had the ability and God does search us. And that God knows our hearts and he knows where we are and he knows what's in our heart. And he said, there was, I believe he was saying that there was nothing in his life that God had not seen or God had not found. He knew, it even said in the verse that God knew his thoughts and his, amen, that word thoughts implies his plans, his idea, his innermost thoughts of life, the ones that he doesn't share with anybody else. It's those private thoughts that he has. But God God knew what he was thinking. Hallelujah. I've oftentimes sat and talked to people and wondered what in the world they were thinking. Amen. You sit there and just look at you. And it's like, am I talking to the wall or are you listening to me? And you found out later they wasn't listening. Praise God. Amen. I, I talk to my children sometimes and then I'll ask them, what did I just say? And they'll be like, that's what I thought. Because they weren't listening. But he knows our every thought. Amen. We read that the, he said that God had beset him in front and in back. This word beset is the same word that's used as a siege when somebody is surrounded. And I know it's going to be quiet tonight and it's not going to bother me. So just... Amen. If you want to ride with me, go ahead. But uh, I tell you what, he, he, he said that I, you beset me, God. You're all around me. On my right, my left, and front, behind. I, I try to go away, but you're already there. You got me all around me. I can't get away from you because you're everywhere. He talked about fleeing from God. We read it tonight. He said, if I, he said, whether shall I go from the spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? Where can I go to get away from your presence? He said, if I ascend into heaven.
heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. This next verse is something that we have all probably thought. Uh, the darkness, the darkness, we can hide there. Uh, nobody knows what we're doing in the darkness. But the psalmist went on to say that the, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the night or the middle of the day. It does not hinder God's ability to see. I wish I could see in the dark, but I can't. And that's why sometimes when toys are left out, trying to sneak through the bedroom. And uh, yeah, it's hard to sneak when you kick something and you're hopping on one foot not wanting to scream. <laughs> Amen. Or something's just not in place and I can't see a lick without my glasses on. So I've kind of learned how to maneuver without being able to see real clearly. And I think I'm pretty good at it, but all it takes is one thing out of place. Just takes one thing. One thing that's been moved and you're going to stumble and fall. But I'll tell you what, God sees in the darkness just like he does in the light. He sees right through the darkness. We often, David said, you know, I'm thinking, David probably was thinking, you know, I, I've done some things in the night that I thought were in the private, but I'm telling you what, you knew I was doing it. You were already there. I can't hide in the darkness either. There's nowhere I can go to flee from his spirit. The very end of this psalm, the last two verses, is kind of where I was wanting to get to tonight. Verse 23 of Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He started the psalm out by saying, you have searched me. You, you know what you're doing. You can search. You know the thoughts of our hearts. And you know what we're doing. You know where we're going. You know everything that I'm doing. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm planning. But at the end, he turned it around and said, I know that you know it, but God, I want you to search me. It's one thing to know that God can search us. It's one thing to know that he knows what we're thinking and he knows what we're planning and he knows what we're doing. It's another thing entirely to say, God, search me. I want you to search me. I want you to know my heart. I know you have the ability, but God, I want you to know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. What he was doing was inviting God to come in to his heart. Inviting God to work his way into his mind. That he would know his thoughts. Search me, God. Why? To see if there be any wicked way in me. It's one thing to say, I know he knows what I'm thinking. It's another thing to invite him in and say, search me. 
It's another thing to say, search me. Hallelujah. You see, when we invite him in, we're asking him to know our thoughts. We're asking him to try us. Basically, in my opinion, what we're doing is we're asking him to uncover anything that ought not to be in our heart. Saying, search me. And then, if we allow God in, if we open the doors up to our heart and he comes in and begins to show us things, we don't try to live in denial, we don't try to hide them again. But when we're sincere about God searching us, we're also sincere about fixing what is revealed. You know, when you haven't been for a physical checkup in 17 years, 15, 16 years, whatever it's been, there's a lot of history to cover. And I sat and answered a lot of questions today. And, um, and there were some that I really did not want to answer because I knew it wasn't going to have a very good outcome. But if I take the time to go to the doctor, I'm not going there for the doctor's benefit. They will benefit. Trust me. Amen. They will benefit. But I don't go there for their benefit. I'm going there for mine. And if they hear something and they're asking you questions that they don't like and it's not comfortable to them, it's not very comfortable to me either. But we can just say, well, I'm not going to answer that one quite right. I'll skirt the issue and uh, I'll try to fool them. I'm going to tell on my father-in-law just a little bit tonight. Hey, man, he was having some sugar problems. And uh, he decided he didn't want to be a diabetic. And so he would have to go in. The doctor said, I want you to come in. I don't remember how often it was, once a month or something, and have blood tests so we can kind of get you mapped out and figure out where your blood tests were. So he knew when his blood tests were. So for about three days prior to his blood test, he'd starve himself. He'd eat real good, and he'd go in there, and his sugar was fine. And the doctor couldn't understand it. This went on for quite some time, and, and the doctor was confounded by it all. And he said, I, I don't understand this. He said, you have symptoms, and, and I can tell that there's symptoms here of diabetes, but you're not showing it in these blood tests. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do the one-month test. My father-in-law goes, what's that? He said, well, we can test your blood, and we can map it out for the last month. Busted. It came back pretty bad. And then he confessed to the doctor and told him what he had been doing. Because he was trying to fool the doctor. Wasn't being, he, he just didn't want to be diabetic. So he's trying not to be diabetic, but he's diabetic. Amen. And we can hide those things from the doctor. And, and there's only one person we hurt by doing it. And that's me. I tried to be very honest with her today, but I didn't like it when she looked at me and said, you ever have any chest pains? I said, well, she goes, how often? <laughs> I said, you know, only when I'm stressing a little bit. When was the last time? It's like, <clears throat> last week. <clears throat> she goes, I'm ordering you a stress test next week. You're going to go in and do the treadmill test. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Not great. I'm not looking forward to that either. 
could uncover something that can fix a problem I have. And it wouldn't do me any good to say, oh, no, not me. When I've been flat on my back sometimes because I've hurt in my chest, I don't know what it is. They may find something, they may not. But if I hid that from them, it would do me no good. I would still be suffering with it. And if it's something simple that they can fix, well, then let's fix it. There was other things they asked me, and I, I was like, yeah, yeah. And I'd tell her, and she just looked at me, and she gave me a little lecture about one of them, and, and, uh, and uh, she told me if that ever happens again, I don't care where you're at, what you're doing, what time it is, you call me. Yes, ma'am. And, uh, but it's before my own good. Oh, this is maybe too simple tonight, I guess. We hurt ourselves when we try to hide our physical ailments. And I know it's frustrating sometimes. I, it was years ago, I was having stomach issues. I was going over and over. They never did figure it out. And it finally just went away in time. And, and, and it was frustrating. But the, the, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that I was still eating and I was losing weight. <sighs> Wish those days were still here. <laughs> Now I have to starve myself to lose weight. But in those, I was losing weight like crazy. I got down to 168 pounds. I couldn't imagine that these days. But I, I was just, and, and, and he's like, I don't understand why you're losing so much weight. I don't either. Still eating. And he never did figure it out. I kept my weight down for a little while, and then, then I didn't. But <clears throat> I was glad I had lost some weight today. <laughs> She's like, yeah. She goes, How, how's your diet? And I said, I've been on a diet. <laughs> I'm controlling what I eat. And so they said, well, you just keep doing it because you need to lose some more. It's like, I know that. It's for my own good. We don't like those kind of discussions. I love to eat. I love to sit down with a bag of Doritos and a bowl of queso dip. Now you can make that thing disappear. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we're not going to talk about food tonight. <laughs> Amen. But there's something about that that's not good for my body. I ate out of control all summer and I ended up getting bigger than I ever been in my life. And I had to come to the realization on my own that I had to do something to change some things. Because I didn't like the way I felt. My grandfather one time, he was working for Target as a door greeter and he liked to drink coffee. And they told him he could not have a coffee cup there. Because he was greeting the door, unless his doctor said he could. He had drank so much coffee that he had problems with his esophagus being literally burnt. And sometimes would have pass blood because of it, okay? And one, a doctor said it was because of his coffee drinking. But there was this other doctor that liked him, and they would sit down and just tell stories. So he went to that doctor, and that doctor wrote him a prescription that said he had to have a cup of coffee every hour on the hour. And so Target let him stand by the door with his Santa hat on, saying hello, with a coffee cup in one hand and saying hi with the other. And it was to his own harm. But he liked it. Mm. To his own harm. Allowed something to go on. Found somebody to say it was okay to make himself feel good about it. Amen. If you're looking for approval for something you're doing that you know doesn't line up to the word of God, you could probably find somebody who's willing to say, yeah, it's 
You can come here and be that way. It'll be okay. But I'm telling you, that's not for your health. It's not for your well-being. I tell you, it's to your harm and to your detriment. We ought to pray, search me, God. If there be anything, get it out of my life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5, examine yourselves. There's a lot of things in our person, in our physical well-being that we ought to be examining ourselves for our own good. There are certain tests that certain people ought to be doing, examining themselves to make sure there's nothing wrong. The same thing is true in our walk with God. We have got to examine ourselves. He said, examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates he said examine yourself that means to test endeavor scrutinize entice discipline assay examine go about prove try examine yourselves I know that whenever I hear a message on repentance, you say, well, you've lived for God a long time, yes? But let me tell you so that every time I hear it, I want to find a corner somewhere and examine myself to make sure I'm ready to test, to, to just scrutinize. When I was in the Carpenters Union, I an apprentice and every three months we had to go for a week of training and one time he decided to try to take a bunch of apprentice carpenters and make them welders and so for three days we sat there with stick welders trying to weld these dudes together and if we could have done it right he would certify us as a certified welder I'm like Ben this is awesome yeah in three days mine never worked you had to weld these three pieces together, cut them out, polish them off, and they bend it. It had to bend into a U shape. Mine turned into a V every time because my weld would snap. I wasn't any good at it. I never passed the test. That guy sat there and he would pick apart my work. That was his job. He couldn't certify us if we didn't do it right. Had to examine our work. To make sure it would pass the code. We have to do the same thing in our own lives. We've got to examine ourselves. To make sure that we are where we need to be. Because I do not want to end up as a reprobate. According to Thayer's Greek definition, that means not standing the test. Not approved. That which does not prove itself such as it ought. Un 
unfit for, unproved, spurious reprobate. Doesn't stand up to the test. My welding was reprobate. Wasn't good for anything. It looked ugly. I knew it wouldn't pass, but it was still fun. It, I couldn't do I couldn't figure it out. My father-in-law came and visited somewhere around there, and he was trying to give me pointers, and I never went back and tried it again. I'm not a welder. Some folks can, I can't. Praise God. I didn't pass the test. But I'm telling you, there's a test coming that I do not want to be found as a reprobate. I do not want to be found as the one that could not stand the test. That could not be proven. That was unfit. And the only way that I can make sure that I don't end up that way is to examine myself. Not to compare myself amongst ourselves. I can't compare myself to Brother Merriman. The Bible says that if you do that, you're not wise. We cannot compare ourselves and say, well, I'm more spiritual than that one. I, I'm more holy than that one. I, I tell you what, that doesn't matter. What matters is how does it line up with this book? How's it lining up with what the pastor's preaching? What God is trying to tell us? That's what matters. It don't matter what I compare to Brother Merriman. It don't matter if I compare to Brother Jared. I've got to line up to God's word. On judgment day, God's not going to stand Brother Merriman up and put me next to him and compare me to Brother Merriman. It's not going to happen. But he's going to open up the word. We're going to be judged by the word. I've got to examine myself not by what I want to examine myself by. I've got to examine myself by the word. I know we're tired and we're fasting, but I'm telling you what, I feel this so strongly in my heart tonight. Hallelujah. This is a time when we ought to be examining ourselves. Amen. It's a time we ought to examine ourselves and we're fasting. We ought to be using this time as a time to make sure our hearts are right. To examine way down deep. I'm going to tell you sometimes in physical examination it's very uncomfortable there's a couple of things she poked on me today and I didn't like it jabbing my stomach she pokes me in a couple of places said that hurt didn't it uh-huh which opened up a whole other line of questioning because it shouldn't have been that way In fact, then she's like, okay, I want to do this and this and this and this and this today. She said, because it might be 16 years before we get you in here again. I said, it might be. But she's trying to make it right. Make sure nothing's out of kilter. It's called an examination for a reason. And we've got to examine ourselves. Whether we be in the faith. The faith that was once delivered unto the saints. 
It doesn't change for our generation. And it won't change for our children's generation. It's going to be the same faith. Studying today, this story came to me. Daniel chapter 5, verse number 1. Amen. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. Just so that you bear with me. Says Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. They brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, of silver, and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there having a party and all of a sudden a hand showed up and began to write on the wall, I think my countenance would change as well. And I think that my joints would loose up and my knees would smack together too. He was terrified. When you think about what he had done, taking these vessels and using them in such a way, praising these false gods, and uh, he called for his astrologers, his magicians, and come to try to find his wise men, trying to find an answer to what was written on the wall. They could find no answer. Finally, he was reminded of a man, told of a man that was there that was a righteous man by the name of Daniel. And they called him to come. In verse 13, then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah? whom the king my father brought out of Jewry. I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. They could not show the interpretation of the thing. I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations, dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet. Have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. I don't want your gifts. I'm not standing here for your riches. I'm not standing here for your good favor. He said, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom majesty and glory and honor. And I'm going somewhere with this, so please don't let me lose you here. For the majesty that he gave him, all the people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive and whom he would he set up and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. 
His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew, till he knew, till he knew. He was in his trial until he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. He was there until, in a trial until he realized that he was not where he was because of himself. He wasn't there because he was some great king and he, he had so much power, but he was there because God put him there. Until he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. He said, you knew this whole story. You know what Nebuchadnezzar was put through when he got lifted up and puffed up, got to thinking too much of himself, and God took him and made him like a beast in the field, eating grass, the dew covering his body. You knew this. But you didn't humble your heart. But hast, verse 23, but hast lifted up thyself <clears throat> against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified you praise these gods who did not see you, did not hear you, did not know. But the very God who holds your breath, you live because he wants you to still live. In one moment, he could take your breath and you're done. He holds your breath. You didn't glorify him. Then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this writing was written. This is the writing that was written. However you pronounce this, many, many, tekel a person. This is the interpretation of the thing many. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that night, Belshazzar died. Still don't see where he repented. Still don't see where he sought God. God's hand writing on the wall, saying, I have weighed you in the balances. And you didn't pass the test. You see, we will all stand before God. We're going to be weighed in a balance. 
And I want to pass that test. I want to pass that test. And the only way that I can pass that test is that continually search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. When I wake up in the morning and search me, oh God. When I lay down at night, search me. If I picked up something through the day, search me. I don't want to be out of balance. I don't want to be found wanting. We have examples that have gone before us and we can look at their lives, look at choices they've made that led to things happening in their life. Belshazzar had Nebuchadnezzar for an example, but he chose to ignore it. Nebuchadnezzar had a second chance. Belshazzar did not. He didn't have another chance. God didn't give him the opportunity to go out in the field as a beast until, until. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder sometimes if we don't think we have so many chances. Surely God will give us another one. If I go for a season, do this for a time, I'll have another chance. But there is no guarantee of a second chance. That's why every day I've got to pray, search me. Oh God. Second Peter chapter one, and I'm almost done. Verse number one says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather... Brethren, 
Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's given us everything. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us exceeding great and precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Why? Having escaped the corruption. The only way we escape the corruption is by letting God search our hearts. It wasn't too long ago, a few months ago, Brother Reagan, you started your series on the fruit of the Spirit. That one area speaks out to me so strongly where he talked about if we're full of the gift, fruit of the Spirit or works of the flesh, what we had more of was a balance of what we have in life, how our walk with God is going. You see, if the works of the flesh are taken over, it's because we're not praying the prayer, search me. Oh, God. And know my thoughts. That we would escape the corruption in the world. We escape by not letting things stay in our hearts. By getting rid of them before they take up root. Dig deep into our heart. You say, well, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. That's why every day I've got to pray, search me. I don't want to go a day because if I go a day, something will probably begin to work in my heart. I know myself. I know my weaknesses. I know what I struggle with. I'm telling you, there's an enemy that knows what we struggle with too. And if we go days without praying that prayer, go days without that self-examination, he's going to cause things to slip in because of our own lust. Because we're not praying, search me. Search me. He said, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Diligence. That doesn't mean when you feel like it. That doesn't mean once a month. Get down to business and make sure I'm okay. We got to give diligence. Life is so fleeting, so short. I feel so strongly the Lord is coming soon. Someone asked me what my retirement plans were. I ain't worried about it. I don't think I'll make it there. You say, well, that's a dumb point of view. Well, 
If I had money to worry about it, I might worry about it. I just don't worry about it. Because Jesus is coming soon. But you know what? He's coming for a bride. It's made herself ready. He's coming for a bride that has washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. He's coming for a bride that has prayed that prayer of search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, once he's searched us and we, he's revealed those things and, and we take care of him, we allow him to lead us in that way that leads to life everlasting. I wish I had some great ending tonight. I just really don't. But I feel that somebody needed to hear tonight. It's time to pray a prayer that says, search me, oh God. There's coming a day, and it may be sooner than we even think, when we're going to be weighed in the balances. And do you understand at that point it's too late. When we stand before him it's, it's too late to say search me God. Oh, nobody knows what I've done. Yeah. Yeah, there is somebody. Just like my father-in-law's sugar test. He thought he could fool him. But there was another test. He couldn't fool that one. You can pass some little tests and think that you're fooling everybody. But there's a test that we can't fool anybody on. And that's when we stand before God and he opens up that book. I did two years of college, secular college. I had a couple of guys that were in the same program, took a lot of classes together. Be sitting there, and I don't even know if they use scantrons anymore. But we fill out the little spot in our test, and they run it through the machine. And this one guy would always—don't ask me why—he is in danger. But he'd look at mine if he didn't know an answer. There's blind leading the blind. I was guessing on half of them sometimes. <laughs> he'd look over there and start filling out answers, trying to fool his way through. But you know what? There comes a day when that doesn't work anymore. Can't fake your way through it anymore. There's coming a day when you're not going to be able to fake it anymore. I don't know why I'm preaching this tonight, Elder. I just... I have had it. My mind 
to sleep this week. 